Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. And they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. As we continue in book 3 of of the Sanctuary Psalms, the Levitical Psalms. Book 3 of the Book of Psalms, which we've talked about, is parallels the Book of Leviticus. And so we call these, we look at these as Sanctuary Psalms. But as we do so, I want to make sure we have a clear definition of the word Sanctuary. Because it's used for an awful lot of things in our world today. From Webster's 1828 Dictionary, Sanctuary is defined as follows, and I choose this for the 1828 Dictionary of Webster's is the last one that had scripture references in it. But Webster's defined it a sacred place, particularly among the Israelites, the most retired part of the temple at Jerusalem called the Holy of Holies, in which was kept the Ark of the Covenant and into which no person was permitted to enter except the high priest, and that only once a year to intercede for the people. The same name was given to the most sacred part of the tabernacle. And he lists Leviticus 4, 2 Chronicles 20, and Hebrews 9. Secondly, uh, sanctuary is a house consecrated to the worship of God. A place where divine service is performed. Psalm 73. Hence, sanctuary is often a word used for church. By the way, sometimes we use the phrase church services... And people say, what service? It's all about us. No, 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 no. It's not all about us. It's all about Him. And it is about serving His purposes. Our worship is a service to the Lord. So that's an important definition as well. We don't come here to serve each other. We come here to serve the Lord. So it is in fact a service that we hold on Sundays, but it's a service unto the Lord. He also defines it as a place of protection, a sacred asylum And sanctuary, perhaps my favorite definition, is a shelter, a protection. That's comforting. I love the sanctuary of the Lord. I love the shelter of the Lord. It's a place of sanity in an increasingly insane world. And as we already sang this morning, Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, there are those who consider their home a sanctuary. 
just to tweak you a little bit, I, I read this news article last week. A civil rights complaint has been filed against a woman in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who posted an advertisement in her church last Sunday seeking a Christian roommate. The ad, quote, expressed an illegal preference for a Christian roommate, thus excluding people of other faiths, according to the complaint filed by the Fair Housing Center of West Michigan. (laughs) It's insane! That is absolute insanity. We have a board back there, a sharing board, where you can put things that you need to get rid of or or would like to give away and and things that you might have some needs. We put up there. If someone, this is saying, if you put a sign up there saying, home, looking for a Christian to come rent a room, you would be in trouble in West Michigan for it. America, 2010. This is where we are. The article goes on saying, quote, it's a violation to make, print, or publish a discriminatory statement. So now, asking for a Christian roommate is discriminatory. Executive Director Nancy Haynes said there are no exceptions or exemptions to that. Depending on the outcome of this case, she said the woman could face several hundred dollars in fines and fair housing training so it doesn't happen again. And then the director went on to say, had the ad not included the word Christian, it would not have been illegal. Insane. Insane. Where can you go when your own home isn't even a sanctuary? Where your own home, rights are violated there. The place where you go in, and I don't know if you've done this, but you close the door behind you and you feel like you've just closed out the insanity of the world and you have a place where you have some sanctuary. And now, even that is being violated and challenged. Where do you go when you need sanctuary? How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. J. Vernon McGee once wrote, The sanctuary, as we saw in the book of Leviticus, was the very center of life in Israel. There was a day when the church was the center of social life in this country. It is not even the center of religious life today. And it should be. It should be. Now, I I realized a couple of Sundays ago, if you were here, I kind of lowered the boom a little bit on church and worship attitudes. And then I promptly left town. (laughs) But I want you to understand something. It's only because I love this church. And I love this fellowship. I am so thankful for having this place to which... I can come and fellowship with other believers and worship God and truly close the door to the insanity outside for the sanity of of this place. And I really think we've lost something precious in the church when the church is not the center of our social and spiritual lives. This is my heartfelt desire that the church would once again become that. A place where my heart longs to be there. In the courts of the Lord. You know, for David, those courts had spread out around his tabernacle up there on on Mount Moriah. And that's where the people would gather. If there was a civic issue, that's where the people would gather. If there was a, a religious festival, that's where the people would gather. Around where the Lord was in His presence. And it was the centerpiece of the land. And it often seemed like the further out people got from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount, from the tabernacle, the further out they got, the worse the sin. 
the more the idolatry. And David saw this as the center. This is central to life in Israel. And it should be central for our lives as well. Now, I'm speaking of David because most believe that this psalm, Psalm 84, the psalm of the sanctuary, is written by David. It's not sung from the sanctuary. Actually, it's not even near the sanctuary. The psalm is written in a place of distance. It is a song of longing for the sanctuary. Longing of a man who who is far off, who is homesick for the holy place. And, And that's David. And he saw the sanctuary as absolutely central. Psalm 84, he's most likely the writer. I, I know in the heading it says a psalm of the sons of Korah. But that's also could be translated psalm for the sons of Korah or a psalm of the sons that they were the ones who then took the psalm and would lead it there in Israel. Lead it into, the sons of Korah were Levites and singers before the Lord. Which is amazing, considering their history, and I won't go into that this morning, other than to say that their father was anything but a singer to the Lord. He was a man of great rebellion. And yet we see the redemption of the Lord, and now his sons are the worship leaders, which is very cool. But it was no doubt given to them to sing this in the temple, and yet the more conservative scholars say, ah, but this is David, this just rings true of David. Spurgeon said this. He said it matters little when this psalm was written or by whom for our part it exhales to us a Davidic perfume. It smells of mountain heather and the lone places of the wilderness where King David must have often lodged during his many wars. And we know this from looking at the life of David many times over the last several years that David, when he was away from home, his heart longed for the courts of the Lord. These opening verses sound like David. Read like David. These are words of David. The thing he missed most when he was gone, when he was away, it wasn't hearth and home. The thing he missed most wasn't uh, friends or family even. It was the sanctuary. That's what David missed. That's what David longed for. What he wanted. The courts of God. Do you long for this place of meeting when you're away? Do you find your heart trailing back here? Now, I don't want to get too hung up in the barn or the place, but I'm talking about the gathering of the people of God. We were out to dinner Friday night with Barb and Rod down at another sanctuary, P.F. Chang's China Bistro. <laughs> and we're down there eating, and our, our waiter uh, had to take a break, and so another young lady came on and was waiting on us, and she overheard us, because we were talking about a church down in southern Oregon that, that offers communion and worship every morning. And I was saying, that you know that's something I, I want to see. I, would, I long to see a place where, you know, where there's even 24-7 worship going on would just be... Amazing. And we're talking about that. She overheard us and she goes, there's a church that meets every morning. She goes, I could go to church every morning. And then she went on to allude to the fact that she was in a place in her life where she really needed that. She just started going to this new church and she said, yeah, I'm just, uh, uh, just, it's just a hard time. It, it, you know, when, when a waitress opens up like that to you, you know this is a woman who needs some prayer. Her name is Becca. Would you play, please pray for Becca? I don't know what, I don't know why, what's going on, but I think it would be awesome if they extended out beyond the four of us at dinner to those of you, if you remember her name, Becca, just, just offer up a prayer for this young woman. 
But she was saying what David was saying. I just, I long so much for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of the Lord, for the presence of other believers, and the worship and sanctuary. I, I could go there every morning. Now, again, Jesus saved the human heart to become a sanctuary, a dwelling place, intimately and immediately. Which is one of the most astounding things in all Christianity. I wish more people understood. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We will dwell there with him. Make our house with the believer. But understand, and please don't discount or dismiss this, on earth also, God constructed a tangible tabernacle. A place for believers to gather. A sanctuary of sanity in an insane world. The church. It is the church. And regardless of your past experience with church and with some of the the, the sad religiosity that may have happened or or some of the hurt that may have happened, because when you get people together, someone's going to get hurt. It's all fun and games until you go to church and someone gets hurt. You know, it's going to happen. But regardless of all that, that past junk, and, and especially how the enemy would try to twist that in our spirits and in our minds, the reality is, like the courts of the temple that focus the believer into the Holy of Holies, the church is a gathering to focus us into the Holy of Holies. To continually draw us back to the Lord and into His presence. A place where we can where we can offer up worship to the Father. And where we can hear truth taught from His Word. Where we can practice love and fellowship. And we can experience His presence mutually. Our sanctuary. Now picture David. He's the warrior king out on some campaign. And there are all kinds of ideas as to where he may have been when he wrote Psalm 84. We just know he was away from home. And likely on a military campaign, settling down there in the wilderness, surrounded by his great army, his host of Israel, and his heart trails off home as he says, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. You see, he says, Lord of hosts. He's looking out on his host, David is, and he thinks, And the Lord has an army more vast, far more great than mine. O Lord of hosts, how lovely are your dwelling places. That word lovely there in the Hebrew is yadid. It means literally, well, it's also translated beloved. How beloved are your dwelling places? How greatly loved is the place of your dwelling? And again, I ask you, do you love this dwelling place? Do you love being in this fellowship, being part of what's going on here in this sanctuary? Does absence make your heart grow fonder? Do you, like David, find your heart trailing off home, this home, this fellowship? We were, last Sunday, you know, we were away visiting Hannah in Spokane, uh, Parents Weekend at Whitworth University. It was $40 a person, 80 bucks, and for that we got two coffee mugs. And they're not even man mugs, they're wimpy little female mugs. You You have to drink them with your pinky out. I mean, they're tiny little things. What is that? Anyway, side note, I'm sorry, let me get back. So we're in Spokane. And that morning, that Sunday morning, we got up with, and, and we picked up Hannah and, and Annalise and, and another friend of theirs, Colleen, and we all went to Calvary, uh, Spokane. 
and the pastor did a wonderful job, and the service was just great, and, and I really enjoyed it. But i got to tell you, honestly, all through the service, as wonderful as it was, I felt like I was away from home. I, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about the bridge, and I was thinking, Lord, I wonder how it's going. You know, I, I wonder how, how Jim is doing, and I hope everybody's really hearing what he has to share because it's so powerful and so important, you know, James 5, and, and all that he talked about. And, and it was marvelous to come back and hear about how many people received prayer last Sunday morning. In fact, so many that I thought, perhaps I need to be away more often. But I, I was thinking about you and longing for, for this place of sanctuary. And as we're sitting there, the service ends, the lights come up, and I hear, Rick? And I turned around, and it was Nick Lundberg. Now, I don't know how many of you remember Nick and Sheila, but they came to the bridge for a couple of years. And then they had to move over to Spokane, and they're there now, and they're, and they're uh, going to Calvary, Spokane. And they came up and gave us big hugs, and we're talking with them about how it's going and what's going on in their lives. And, and, and again, it, just, it was like home. Suddenly it felt like home. And as we talked, what was interesting to me, they've, they've been at Calvary, Spokane for a long time, and they love the church, and they're serving well there, and, and that is sanctuary for them. But... They just wanted to know about the bridge. What's going on at the bridge? How are the people at the bridge? Tell, them, tell everybody we said hi. So Nick and Sheila say hi. And those of you who never met them, they say hi to everybody here. And it was just, it was just again, a reminder to me of, of the place of intimacy and fellowship. And it doesn't, again, mean that Calvary Spokane is not that for people who are there as well. But every church fellowship should be that. A place of intimacy. A place that we long to return to. Not a place that's a drag to go to. You know, if it's a drag to go here, then we need to have a conversation and figure out what's up. You know, is it Bill? Is he dragging everybody down, my father-in-law? Then let's work on that together. Sorry, Bill. He came in the house. Should I even tell him about this? He came in the house with this little machine that makes all kinds of foul noises the other day. And you press the button, and, and I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You pretty much buy them in like roadside trucker stops. And uh, He came in with he had it in his back pocket, and he's pressing the button, and, and Anna Marie just was disgusted. It was really funny. I am really off here. Okay, so back to verse 1. I just want to hang out this morning. You know? <laughs> So David longed for the dwelling place, longed for the fellowship, longed for the intimacy, and he continues in verse 2, and he says, My soul longed, and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now, notice that. He talks about the trinity of humanity. The trinity of humanity, what each one of us, our makeup. He says, My soul longed, and my heart and my flesh he mentions in this verse, all three, he's saying, soul, heart, flesh, mind, spirit, body, all that I am yearns for all that He is. And Jesus would say later in Mark 12:30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. My soul longs. That's, that's the mind. I'm, I'm thinking about you all the time. Thinking about your, your courts, Lord. My heart, that's my spirit. And even, and I love this, my flesh. Now we talk a lot about the flesh is a bad thing, but you know what? The flesh is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not entirely a wicked thing. We're not about here the physical denial like the ancient ascetics. 
You know, those who would deny the flesh, deny the body because the body is bad. No, the body is created by God. Just like the soul, just like the spirit. The flesh is an important aspect of, of who we are. My vocal cords are flesh. And therefore they are the instrument through which my spirit is enabled to sing aloud, praising God. As David says, my flesh sings for joy. My, my hands and my feet are flesh Providing for tangible ministry and bringing the gospel to the world. Paul says in Romans 10.15, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Yes, we want to be in the Spirit. Yes, we want our minds, our souls captivated. Capturing every thought you know, for Christ Jesus. But our flesh as well is part of the whole process. Part of worshiping and serving and praising God. Yes, the flesh is weak. As Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, keep praying and watching that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Which is why we need to keep praying and keep watching and remain together in the sanctuary. Because it encourages the flesh along. But as weak as the flesh may be, it is also wonderfully useful to the work of God in, with, and among His people. And the soul is that great conscious filter between spirit and flesh. And of course the spirit, when born again of the spirit of Jesus, is saved and sanctified for good things. Verse 3. The bird. (laughs) The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Two birds are actually mentioned in this verse. If you're reading the King James translation, it wouldn't just say the bird has found a house. It would say the sparrow. Because the word is sparrow there. It's the Hebrew word sapor, little bird. A sparrow type of bird, and of course then the swallow is mentioned as well. And I think it's interesting that David chooses these two birds. The sparrows and the swallows. The rambunctious sparrows have a home in the sanctuary. If you've been at the bridge any amount of time, these dirty little birds (laughs) chattering and twittering and dive bombing and trying to white out my sermon notes. According to David, welcome in the house of God. They are welcome here. And there, there have been times, they're pretty quiet. I saw one hopping around earlier, but they're pretty quiet this morning. But you've been here, some of you, when they have just been, you know, it's just, ah. And David says, hey, hey, but they, they've made a home there. And, and I have joked about the evil of these birds, you know, in Scripture, but honestly, Every sparrow who nests in this barn is a reminder that God has His eye on the sparrow. That God is aware of even the littlest and most insignificant of creatures. And if you're feeling at all insignificant this morning, remember, God has His eye on the most insignificant. In fact, if you're feeling worthless, guess what? Then His eye is more on you than at probably any other time. He's really watching. Jesus said in Matthew 10.29, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Or literally apart from your father's knowledge. He is fully aware 
of the most insignificant of these. Even the rambunctious sparrows. And then, secondly, he mentions the restless swallows. The restless swallows who make a nest in the sanctuary. I grew up about 15 miles north of San Juan Capistrano. And on October 23rd of every year, these flighty little birds, they've summered there, and then they up and spin around the Mission San Juan and around the city, and then off they go, and they're gone again. And amazingly, every March 19th, I don't know how they know. I don't know if they have just little calendars, they pop, oh, gotta go! And then off they come. But without fail, they come back on that day. People gather in Capistrano to see the site, and it's a complete madhouse. Anybody here ever seen this, the, the swallows return to Capistrano? It's nuts! I mean, they're crazy. It's like, I mean, talk about dive bombing in the barn. They're all over the place. And it's interesting to watch them. They're worse than sparrows. They are hyperactive, they are spastic, they are restless. They're twittering and chattering and all over the place. And many of us are more like swallows than we think when it comes to hyperactivity. Among all birds, swallows are considered to be the most restless. Why? Well, scientists have told us that they have weak little feet. The swallows' feet are literally weak. They don't perch well. You notice how swallows make those little mud nests that they can crawl into because they don't perch. They don't do well. Their their feet are not strong enough to hold on. If they were to perch, they'd be falling off all over the place. So they make a little mud nest that they can crawl into safely because their feet are weak. And so they're flighty and they're erratic and they're always moving. And I, I thought about this, the birds, rambunctious sparrows and restless swallows. And I went, Lord, you nailed me. <laughs> That's me. David says, but when they come into the sanctuary... The sparrows have a home. They're resting there. And the swallows are nesting there. I used to be far more rambunctious and restless. Man, as a kid growing up, going to church, I was terrible. My folks kept taking me back week in and week out and Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights and every time there was something church, you name it, I was there and I was a spaz most of the time. There were times where my folks wondered if I would ever make it out alive. I mean, I remember, and I think I've shared on a Wednesday night, and this is bad, and there aren't very many, I don't see really any kids here, so I can share this because it's a bad example. But I remember on Wednesday nights, we, we met at the Tarbell Realty Building in, in Southern California. They're right off of La Paz Road. And I, I just got so bored because our pastor did preach monotone, and he wasn't any C.H. Spurgeon. And so I'd be sitting in the back just going... <laughs> You know, looking around and, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. You don't have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, i got to go to the bathroom. Okay, go, go to the bathroom. So I would go out there into the hallway and into the bathroom, and there was an overlook of, of the road, right? You got off the freeway and another road, La Paz Road, went up the hill, and you were kind of up on a hill looking down on the cars going by. You know, soap is a marvelous projectile. You know, I, I just, I just it. This is one example of all the weird things I did trying to get out of church. And yet, you know what? Over the years, something started to change in this rambunctious and restless little bird. Things started to move in my heart. And and the Holy Spirit took rambunctiousness away and replaced it with peace. Peace in this place. He replaced unruly restlessness in my spirit with the fruit of patience. And self-control. 
And I have found the sanctuary to be one of my favorite places in all the world. So, those of you who are parents, there's hope for your flighty little ones. By the way, note this. Why does the swallow build a nest in the sanctuary? What does David write? Where she may lay her young. She builds her nest in the sanctuary for her young. What a picture is that? A place to raise up the little ones. Jesus said in Mark 10.14, Permit the children to come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so, especially second hour, you know, we have the kids come darting back in like sparrows and swallows, and they're all over, and they interrupt my lofty preaching. And our serious adult worship, you know. And I, I just think the Lord's got to love that as the kids come blasting back in here. And don't forget this. We have an obligation. Every one of us, not just parents of little ones, but as a family in Christ, we have an obligation to raise up these little ones in the nest of the sanctuary of God. Well, it doesn't mean you have to volunteer for children's, although I'm sure Leslie would be thrilled if you did. What it means is that as his eye is on the sparrow, may our eye be on the children. May we care, each one of us, about the kids in this place and love our little ones. David envies the sparrows and the swallows because, as he might put it, they get to live right where I most want to be. They nest in the altars. I mean, they are there. That's where I want to be, Lord. That's, that's what I'm longing for. And then David goes on to mention someone else who gets to live there all the time as well. Verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Who's he talking about here? Well, the Levites camped, camped out right by the tabernacle as they were traveling through the wilderness. As the children of Israel made their way there. The Levites were the priests of the tabernacle and later on the temple. So they were the ones who were right there really close. But don't make the mistake of thinking that the Levites or currently pastors or priests or church leaders have something special that the rest of the fellowship or church does not have. What do you mean? I mean, it's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that pastors and church leaders are closer to God because, well, it is their profession after all. (laughs) Actually, it's all of our profession. It is our profession of faith that we follow the Lord, that we are with the Lord. And and i got to be honest, the daily work of the church can be anything but a sanctuary. There are times where church and the function of things and the administration of things just stresses me out to where I need to be here Sunday morning so I can remember what it's all about. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11.27, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and in exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Working for the Lord and dwelling with the Lord are not necessarily the same thing. And yet we confuse that. Working for the Lord, my ministry, my action, my behavior, my involvement, that's that's what I need, that's what will do it. Not necessarily. But we put the cart before the horse. You see, dwelling in the presence of the Lord, loving the Lord, well, that will encourage ministry to happen. That, that motivates ministry in the heart with, with the right heart and, and a right attitude. 
It's communion with God that brings out adoration for God. And those who are ever praising Him, they're just those who dwell on Him. David says, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. Do you dwell on the Lord? Are you thinking about Him? Is your heart racing to Him? Do you adore Him? Because as you adore Him, you will find yourself longing for Him. In fact, two of my favorite examples of this, and I'll just read this to you quickly. In Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, we see two individuals, dwellers, in the house of the Lord. Neither one of them, as far as I can tell, are Levites. A man named Simeon. Simeon, probably of the tribe of Simeon, although we don't know for sure, But we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Mashiach, Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the customs of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother, that's Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon. I always thought he was a Levite. doesn't say that. He was just a devout man who walked in the Spirit. And he came into the temple because this was a dweller in the courts of the Lord. This was one who was just close to the Lord. Close to God. And God had revealed to Simeon the truth. You're not going to die. I'll let you see. Messiah, before your eyes close in peace. Well, there was another one. A prophetess. Anna. Verse 36. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. So again, nothing Levitical going on here. Just a woman who loved the Lord, who was a prophetess. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving day and night with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna, a couple of great examples of someone who's just a dweller in the house. Not a pastor, not a priest, not a church leader, just dwelling in the house because I want to be where I know the Lord is going to be. And these two were ever praising the Lord, just as David would indicate those who dwell in the house. Verse 5. Verse 5, he continues on. He says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways. And, and the words to Zion are written because they're indicated there. And I believe that is, that's an accurate indication. Is in whose heart are the highways to Zion or, or to Jerusalem. Why do you say that? Because verse 6, Passing through the valley of Baca, 
They make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. David writes, what is his prayer? Oh, hear my prayer, Lord. What prayer? What is he praying? That he might go from strength to strength. From strength to strength. What does that mean? Each year, every male in Israel, and you Bible students know this, at least a minimum of three times a year had to go to Jerusalem. Had to go up to Jerusalem for for one of the feast days. At least three times a year it was required of all the men. And, And God was wise in that. Because again, it made Jerusalem and the temple and the holy place and the holy of holies central to Jewish life. And so three times a year they would go up and come to the sanctuary and for them the sanctuary was strength. And they would go from strength to strength. From one festival to the next. From His presence to His presence. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. These are people, men called, women called to look forward to those trips up to Jerusalem. And each time they went, it was strengthening and encouraging. It was like a retreat from life, going up and offering sacrifice and being in the temple and around all the other believers in God and people of God and wonderfully encouraging and feast and festival. And then back home, you know, to the work and to the daily grind and to the struggles and to the fights and family and the the difficulties. And And then up to Jerusalem from strength to strength. They would travel. They would go. And it got me thinking, how often do we go up? How often do you go up? Is it three times a year? (laughs) Christmas, Easter, and let's throw in one more time for good measure, honey. Uh, Is it month by month? We get there as often as we can. Is it Sunday to Sunday from strength to strength? Is it Sunday to Wednesday from strength to strength? Is it morning by morning? Going from strength to strength. David implies the sanctuary is a place that strengthens. It should be. When we gather together, it should strengthen. Our understanding of the Lord and His call on our lives, it should strengthen our hearts in worship and in fellowship. All that goes on as we gather together from strength to strength. But note this, to get there, they had to, they had to journey often through the valley of Baca. Or weeping. Baca means weeping. And the story of that, you can find it in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, how they named that place the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Tears. The Valley of Baca was north of Jerusalem. It was a dry and arid valley, and yet they called it the Valley of Tears, or the Valley of Weeping. And the reason for it, again, is Judges chapter 2. But when traveling up to Jerusalem, especially when coming from the north, you had to go through the Valley of Baca to get up to the sanctuary, and David draws off this as a picture. He says, passing through the Valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Passing, listen to that. Passing through the Valley of Tears, the Valley of Weeping, they make that dry, arid, dusty valley into a spring. You've got to go through sometimes that place of weeping as you're going up to strength. That's part of the process too. You know, I would love to stay in this barn 24-7. But part of what God is doing in my life and in my heart is taking me through the valley of Baca 
between times of strength, I've got to go through those valleys. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.10, After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. But something else that we've talked about a bit recently also happens. My tears en route to Zion, as I pass through the valley of weeping, the valley of Baca, my tears leave springs there. My tears leave wells of water in an otherwise dry place for others to drink as they pass through. For others to to have, to to slake their thirst as they are struggling, as they are dry and thirsty in that arid valley, the valley of springs, the valley of weeping. And I've read this verse a handful of times recently, 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And this is so critical in our understanding and our maturity as followers of Jesus that our tears are a spring for others traveling through the valley. Our hardships, the Lord is strengthening us through those, but He's also preparing that as a well of water for somebody else. And that is so much a part of the Christian life. God is is so often calling us out of ourselves, isn't He? It's just not about you and getting everything that you want. I love you. I'm going to bring you up from strength to strength, but I'm also going to take you into hardship and struggle. I'm going to lead you even into places that, that hurt and places that will bring tears to your eyes. Why, Lord? Because it's in those places you learn to trust me and it's also in those places where you are comforted to a place that you then can comfort someone else in that same situation. I, for the first time, understand, and I share this with you, how parents of kids leaving home feel. I never could have comforted someone with that knowledge before. Now I can Now I get it. Some macho man comes up to me going, my daughter went to college. I understand that. I can put a hand on his shoulder and rather than rolling my eyes going, man, you've got to get a job, dude. You're weird. Now, now I relate because I've been through that part of the valley. The valley of Baca, the valley of tears. You know what's interesting to me, think about it, Jesus had to pass through the valley of Baca. He traveled from the north. He came from Galilee, coming up to Jerusalem. He went through the valley of tears. And Jesus' tears, more than any other, have brought me water for my thirst. His suffering, His willingness to go through pain and anguish and sorrow, made the valley of Baca, that dry place, a spring, welling up to eternal life. Verse 9. And interesting, this verse is all about him. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. Israel sang this as, as with their anointed King David in mind. But you know, the Hebrew for anointed one, Mashiach. So read that way and understood that way. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your Messiah. Look upon the face, Lord, of, of Christ. Behold, my shield is your anointed one. 
And so we sing this about the Son of David, Jesus. John said in 1 John 1 verse 1, what was from the beginning, and what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may too have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ and that sanctuary, that sanctuary as we come under the shield of the Anointed One, of Jesus Himself, fellowship with one another happens through Jesus who is our shield and you know we declare to the world and we even declare to the Father don't look at me Lord, don't look at me world Look at Jesus. He's my sheep. The Anointed One goes before me. And even in that day when we stand before the Father, we don't stand on our works and we don't stand on our ministries and we don't stand on what we accomplished in the world. We stand behind Jesus. We say, Lord, just talk to Him. I'm here because of Him. He is my shield. You look at me through Him, Lord. And by the way, when God looks at you through Jesus, you know what He sees? Righteous, saved, clean, forgiven. The Anointed One. Verse 10, David says, Oh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper for the temple. A lowly temple servant just standing there opening and closing the door. I'd rather be there than out in the lavish, lush, pleasure-filled tents of wickedness. I would rather be at the door of the barn than in in a, a huge house in Hollywood. David says, that's nothing. I would far rather serve here. I think of Joe standing at the door welcoming people. I think of Spencer here after people are gone cleaning up. I think of those of you who come in and go, Jim here early, Tom here early, who, who are just... Why do they do it? Well, they're, they're trying to get more grace points because their lives are pretty messed up and they really want to impress the Father. That's what that's really about. No. They long for the courts of the Lord. They long to be where, where Jesus is worshipped and where people fellowship in the name of Jesus Christ. Man, I'd rather stand there then dwell in the tents of wickedness. Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Again, David, he's there in the wilderness, blazing days, freezing cold nights, but he recalls on those, on those freezing nights, oh, the Lord, the Lord gives warmth and light. He's a sun. And so when my life is dark and, and cold, the Lord is the warmth. He is the light. And God provides shade from the heat. He's a shield. And so I stand behind the Lord and when things get too hot to handle in my life, when when things are heating up and difficult, He's a shield for me, David says. He says the Lord gives grace and glory. And I think that's in exactly the right order. Grace first. Glory next. That's how it works. Grace is given. Something I cannot earn. And after that comes glory. Something I do not deserve. But we receive that in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Paul says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, 
the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory, His glory, to glory. Just as from the Lord the Spirit. And He says, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. How can I, a struggling sinner, walk uprightly? You know, if... if if he said no good thing does God withhold from people, I kind of like that because good. <laughs> because I need some good stuff. But the second you throw uprightly in there, now something seems to be required of me. So he is going to withhold good things from those who don't walk uprightly. Is that what David's saying? Listen, this is a simple thing. A very simple thing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How do I walk uprightly? Yoke yourself to Jesus. Walk with Him. Allow His arm to be around you. Let Him to be the strength by which you stand. Nothing but good can come from walking with Jesus. I love Psalm 81 verse 10. We talked about Wednesday night. The Lord says, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open up! I want to bless you. That's the Father's heart for His children. I want to bless you. Come to my sanctuary. Get fed. Get blessed. And bless others in the courts of the Lord. Verse 12. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. I am so thankful for this church fellowship. And across seven years, I am... I can't even tell you how my life has been blessed, how Cheryl has been blessed, how our children have found a nest in in these courts, how touched we are, how how even the second hour a couple weeks ago knows about this, maybe you heard, but how even a son by extension who doesn't even live here has been blessed. How Baba... I mentioned two weeks back, Baba, that, that we had, you know, he had school to be paid for. And that schooling was twice as much as we expected it to be. And I wasn't asking, and please understand, you've you got to be careful. When, when I say stuff, a lot of times I'm just sharing what's going on in my life. I'm not saying, hey, and, and anyone who makes, wants to make a contribution, you know, please, here's my number and we take all major credit cards. I'm not saying that. And I was sharing a, a crisis of faith that I had in dealing with that financial situation and I walked out the door of the barn after first hour and Les came running after me and said, hey, wait, 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 here, Rick, I've got something for you. And handed me a check. And he said, I'm just the delivery boy here, but but someone in, in the barn had been holding this since June not sure what they were supposed to do with it, but knew they were supposed. To, the Lord wanted them to do something, and they weren't sure what it was until you mentioned that this morning. And I opened the check, and it was for fifteen hundred dollars. And Baba's school for this year is paid for. And I'm so blessed. I mean, I you know I was a sap. I, I, I am a sap. I walked home with tears were in my eyes, and I was like, Lord, but but we were supposed to pay for this. And, and it, the Lord just made it clear, it's not about who pays for what, or it, it, it's about faith. I just wanted you to trust me, and then I wanted to bless them with the opportunity of seeing that I knew what I was doing. And I'm just, I'm just blown away. And it's more than that, there's something very special that is going on here. And it's not me, and it's not you, it's the Spirit of the Lord 
moving among His people here and doing the things that the Lord loves to do, as long as we get out of the way and we say, Lord, what do You want to do here? And we get to enjoy that together in the courts of the Lord. What a fantastic thing. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. McGee said there was a day when the church was the center of social and religious life in this country. And he said it should be. And I agree. It should be. It can be. The Hebrew writer said, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And let me just tell you, when I, I used to read that as a kid, not forsaking our own assembling together. In fact, I think it was quoted by our pastor just about every single week. Not forsaking the assembling together, as is the habit of some. And I know who was not here last week. My ledger. And that's how it felt. And yet the Hebrew writer is saying, look, when, when we forsake assembly, when we go off and do other things, we miss out on the precious stuff that God is doing, on the strength that He's offering, on, on the joy of just being in sanctuary together that the Lord longs to give to His people. I see, I see it happening here. I see the church becoming, for so many of us, the center of social and spiritual life. I think that's good and it's right. I, I, I told you I was thrilled with Monday nights the Truth Project happening here in the barn. I don't come. I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm forsaking that assembly. But there's a group of people here because they want to be here. And fellowshipping together. Yeah, watching the Truth Project. But you know, that's just, that's just a reason to get together. That's just another reason for us to do what God has called us to do. Hear the truth. Worship together. Love one another. And sometimes, perhaps you feel this way, I feel like David. I feel like I'm out fighting battles and I'm lodged in the wilderness and my heart begins to long for sanctuary. And this temporary tabernacle, this tangible tabernacle, which is an outward expression of of the inward sanctuary of the heart, is so important for us and so valuable to us. And it's a great encouragement to me. And I thank the Lord for that. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. That the next thing on the agenda for those who trust in the Lord who long for His courts, is homecoming. That is the next thing on the prophetic agenda as far as the Bible is concerned, is going home. And nothing needs to happen before Jesus calls out, come up here, and we arrive in the sanctuary of God. Father, I thank You for this temporary sanctuary, this temporary shelter, where people can gather and love on each other and love You, Lord. Where we can worship You. And Father, truly, better is one day in this barn than a thousand anywhere else. Better is the fellowship of those who trust the Lord than any other place. 
Better is that place where two or three are gathered together in Your name, Lord Jesus, because You are there. We praise You this morning. As we enter into worship now, Lord, we just invite Your presence, Holy Spirit, to wash over this place and to strengthen those who need strengthening and to to provide springs of water for those who thirst. And love and fellowship as we worship You in Jesus' name. Amen.